All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Nation. Our next guest is a Las Vegas author, praised for his unique style and powerful character development skills. His books cross multiple genres and appeals to diverse audiences. He was born in England, a far cry from the Nevada desert he now calls home. At the age of seven, his family relocated to the southern part of Africa, where he was raised in various countries and attended boarding school. This opportunity to experience other cultures as a child inspired a love of travel in him and eventually led to his love of the written word. So without further ado, let's get author Stephen Murray on here. All right, so welcome to the show, Stephen Murray, author and Las Vegas resident. How are you today? Thank you, just fine, Rich, and thank you for having me as a guest on your show. I, I hope your it. listeners will enjoy being uh, the show as much as I will enjoy being on it, I'm sure. And I thank you for your service as a veteran. Uh, no problem. Thank you. And uh, thank you for uh, your uh, hookup between me and uh, Homes for Vets. And hopefully that show comes on not long after yours. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. It's a good organization. Awesome. So win on it. I love when uh, they, they have organizations like that that help veterans who really need it, such as getting them homes and such like that. So that'll be a really good uh, interview with General Land- Landermeyer when he comes on. Yes, I hope so. I hope to hear from them soon. Thank you. Uh, so if you want to, just tell me a little bit about your, your journey, how you, your journey to, got you to Las Vegas and being an author. Well, yes, and it has been quite a journey, Rich. Um, I was originally born in England, but as a child, my family moved to uh, Southern Africa, what was then Southern Rhodesia. I mean, we're talking about back in the 1950s now. And I spent most of my formative years growing up in Africa, in Southern Rhodesia, South Africa. Um, I went to boarding school in South Africa. Uh, we also lived in Basutoland, it's now Lesotho, and a couple of other countries, uh, Malawi, that used to be Nias land. When I finished school, uh, I went back to live in England for seven years and traveled throughout Europe. And as much as I loved London, I couldn't stand that cold <laughs> rain weather that just goes on for months and months on end. And of course, the high cost of living, the taxes and everything were a killer. But um, I spent seven years there and I got to travel around Europe. And then I got the chance offer of a job in Los Angeles, California. And the idea of the palm trees and the sunshine and the American dream just naturally appealed to me. And I just cast caution to the wind, packed my two suitcases and pitched <laughs> <laughs> up in L.A. Um, with next to no money in my pocket. But I had a job and... Uh, that was now 45, 45 years ago, 46 years ago, somewhere around about there. And had 27 very happy years in LA. And I started my own business there, computer software. And then I, I have one part in my business, but the traffic got so bad and the congestion and everything. So we decided to move the business to Las Vegas and we moved here 18 years ago. And um, I never, ever dreamed or thought that I would land living in Las Vegas. <laughs> Certainly not when I was growing up in Africa. <laughs> and um, the part about being an author, that came very late in life, Rich. Um, I, I had the good fortune to travel extensively throughout the globe on all five continents. 
And I really decided to sit down and write about those experiences. That's what kicked me off into the writing. And when I finished that, I went to get it published and I was told, oh no, you know, nobody's going to be interested in reading things like that. You've got to write for women. And I thought, gee, that's creepy, because I know nothing about writing women's fiction. I Daniel Steele, I've none of that stuff. Barbara Cartland, I know who they are, but that's the extent of it. But I thought I'd have a stack because I discovered a joy of writing. And um, the first book that I just did just to, the, to see if I could do it was about a fictional Las Vegas wedding chapel and all the couples that come here to get married. I mean, we are the marriage capital of the world after all. And um, I never intended to publish it and then went to Murder, Murder, Mystery and took that to get published. And they said, no, stick with that. <laughs> wedding chapel book so <laughs> it launched and that's what started off that's how it came to pass it's a <laughs> wow. very interesting journey but life throws you lots of curves as, as i'm sure you've learned along the way with your life in the, the service as well you land up being in places and down paths you never dreamed imaginable <laughs> oh definitely the, yeah. the curves that you wind up on in life are not usually what you plan and those are usually the best ones because it's always something new. It's not something you plan for and you're able to have a new experience every time. And I think uh, with your journey from England to the Southern Africa, the Southern Af African continent, you were able to see so much more things that many other people have never seen in their lives. And then uh, Los Angeles for 27 years, seeing that traffic there and the hustle and bustle of LA and then to Las Vegas, where, like you said, the wedding capital of the world and Sin City, basically, and you're, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you're how's outside for, of the niche a little bit, but you're you're still right there. <laughs> how's that for dichotomy? Sin City in the marriage capital of the world. Exactly. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had a friend uh, last week get married there for his, his latest marriage. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, let's hope this one lasts. <laughs> uh, we're, all, we're all praying for him. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, of all your books, did, were they all self-published, or was it just the first one? Or no, I I self-published them. Um, the company that helped me get the first one published that said I have to go with the wedding chapel book. Um, the guy that runs it, he said that you know I could go traditional publishing, but you've got to write all these letters to all these publishers, and he said once they take on the book, it could be three years before it gets to see the light of day. And I thought, gosh, you know, I, I could be dead by then. Anything could happen. And I thought, if I'm going to go for it, <laughs> I, I want to go for it. And so um, I did. And the one thing I like about self-publishing, Rich, is you do have total control of everything. I own the rights. You know, my dream is that one of the days, some, some TV channel like Hallmark or Disney or somebody like that will pick any one of my four books up and turn it into a TV movie or a TV miniseries. And that's my dream. But, you know, if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. But at least I own all the rights to the books. And so I can control the situation. And I just didn't know what would happen if it landed up in a publisher's hands and then it was turned into a movie then there's the issue with the rights and who owns what and so on and so forth. So I like self-publishing. I can market it how I want. And uh, 
I can design my own cover. I have the final say on the content, so. But there's pluses and minuses, you know, I'm sure people have gone traditional publishers say it's much easier, much better to go traditional. It's personal preference, I suppose. Exactly, and it, it depends on your comfort level too. You were you were handed that the issue of the three year wait. You said, "No, nah, this isn't what I'm going to do. I'm going to go. I want this done, so I'm alive when it happens." And <laughs> you got the book out, and you've seen uh -huh. the success of getting that number one out, and you start moving. There's some people that aren't comfortable with taking over that ownership and having to print it and uh, or electronic uh, digitally uh, manufacture it, and then actually store it if you do have the printing and all that stuff. And they're more than happy to let someone else do it and to take that very big cut from everything. They wind up with maybe 1% of all sales overall, or 1% of the rights to it. Like you said, if it goes to a, a movie set or a TV series, Netflix, Amazon, you lose a lot if you go through someone else. Yes, and uh, of course, in my case, it was a question of fools rushing where wise men fear to tread, I, was, I suppose, because the tough part was, you know, once I got the book published and edited and I had the cover design and it was all printed and I got these, all these books, it was like, well, now what do I do? <laughs> and marketing is a whole other ball game, especially for a self-published author. You're the one that's got to go out and arrange all the book signings and find the speaking engagements and, um, it was really tough at first. I had no idea what to do or where to go, but um, it's like anything else in life, Richie. It's got to be a challenge for it to be interesting. <laughs> it has to be because right. if anything that comes easy to you is, in my view, it's just not fun. It's, it's got to be some challenge to make it happen. And it has it's taken me down a path I never expected. And I've met a lot of wonderful people, a lot of other authors locally and book signings. I've met a lot of tremendous people. And um, being on podcasts like yours, it's, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy them. There's a lot of wonderful podcast hosts out there too, you know, doing a wonderful job of helping us all spread the word about what we're doing. It's amazing. That's one of the reasons why I started this was to get people's stories out there. And of course, advice from people like you have now four books out there, self-published. There's someone out there right now thinking, I can't do this. And you're listening to you say what you went through and maybe the tips at the end of the show, what you'll say, this is what I advice I give you as a young author or up and coming author. This is what you need to do to do. It. And that this helps people more than I thought it would. And it's amazing. Um. I think that the points you're raising and making, which are very, very true. Um, as I said, I, I was totally green and I just jumped in. But I think there are a lot of people that are intimidated. It is a daunting task. And I thought long and hard about it. The, the one of the drawbacks is of self-publishing is obviously you, you've got to pay for the editing, you've got to pay for the typesetting, you've got to pay for the cover design, you've then got to pay for the website. There's a huge chunk of change out of your pocket before you've even sold one book, um, which can be daunting. But the, the company that helped me publish the first book, the gentleman, he was quite right. He said, you know what, Stephen? He said, you could go on a cruise to Alaska and it'll cost you like three or $4,000 and you'll come back with some men wonderful memories. But he said, you spent three or $4,000 on 
your website and getting this book out there. He said, I'll take you on a journey you would never imagine. And he's absolutely right. It's, it's all where we choose to spend our disposable income, isn't it? And yeah. um, I decided to spend it there. And it has. It's just taken me on this wild ride. Um, it's like going down the rabbit hole. You just don't, <laughs> just don't know what's around the corner. <laughs> but it's all good. It's been fun. And um, uh, yes, I'm now on the verge of getting my fifth book published. Well, edited. I've just finished writing it. So it's all good. It's good fun. It's a nice, relaxing hobby and escapism. And to, and to any of your listeners out there who are thinking of self-publishing and wondering um whether their book's worth it or whether it's worth the investment i just say if it's it's your dream pursue your dream make it happen you know just follow your gut and um find your audience just make make the dream come true nobody else is going to do it for you so exactly you know make it make it happen you can't have a dream and hope that uh, your favorite author writes it for you you should write yeah, your yes. right for sure yes for sure Speaking of that, who was your favorite author before you became an author? Um, believe it or not, Charles Dickens, okay. um, the classical author. Yes. Uh, it, it could be that he comes from my hometown of Portsmouth in England. I don't know. But I've just always thought his characters, his books and his characters and his stories, they're so, the characters are so well defined and They've all got amazing names like Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, just the name Scrooge conjures up this picture of this mean-spirited character, doesn't it? Yes. And you look at Fagin and from Oliver Twist and the Artful Dodger and places, uh, you know, characters like that. I just find him a very fascinating author. His books are a little bit down, of course. They're a little bit heavy. Um, and occasionally they get like Oliver, they get turned into a musical and they become sort of happy stories. Yeah, somehow, yeah. <laughs> but I liked him and um I, I like I like a lot of John Grisham's Grisham's books. I think he's very, very talented and gifted. Yeah, I think he was one of the first authors that I got hooked on his series, John Grisham, and I I'd sit and read the whole book like in two or three days, even though they're like thick like this yeah. and, and dive through them because I was so into it, because his character development was great. His storylines were awesome, and just keep you in there. And then Tom Clancy was another one. Yeah. Well, they're, they're authors whose books are very hard to put down, you know. You, you almost pick them up with trepidation, because you know the next few days are just going to be shot, you know, reading the books, because you can't just put it down easily. But you so, want to know what's happening. Yes. <laughs> It's something that you've got to start like on the Friday night and knowing full well that you've got nothing on the calendar for the Saturday or the Sunday. You know, <laughs> you know you're not going to miss any appointments. It's good. No. <laughs> awesome. Uh, who's your who was your target audience when you first started writing? I know you have different genres that they're murder and stuff. So who was your target audience? Well, when I was told to do the women's fiction and the... Um, and I wrote the book, The Chapel of Eternal Love. The target audience, I thought, was going to be like the bored suburban housewife in middle America. <laughs> That's who I kind of aimed at. Um, not that I know much about the boredom uh, 
middle America suburban housewife living in Las Vegas. Um, but that was who I was thinking of. But um, they tell me that um, it's more suitable towards mature women. Um, yes, women in their 30s, 40s, and 50s read it and enjoy it. But surprisingly enough, all of the books, even my last one, discreetly yours, about the three ladies of the night, if you will, who plot to kill the, the guy that runs the escort agency, very popular at senior centers. I go and talk to a lot of senior centers here in Las Vegas, and I give them a little chat on all four of my books. And certainly since I've published the fourth one, Discreetly Yours, about the three ladies that the night that murder the, the pimp, if you will, that seems to be by, by far and away the most popular book in senior centers. And again, I never, ever dreamed it. I'm, at first, I never even thought of promoting it there because I just thought it wasn't really uh, a, appropriate reading. I didn't think there'd be any interest in it. But one of the activities directors said, oh, no, you need to come to when you talk about your other books, talk about that one as well. And that night, by far and away, that was the one that sold the most. So who knows? You know, who, who knew? Right. <laughs> and we, you might start off writing thinking you're aiming at some a distinct, a distinct group and then you wind up with a whole different group. Yes. Well, one, the, one thing I was very fortunate, uh, Rich, and I, I would certainly, for any of your authors who are thinking of self-publishing, I would certainly encourage them to get into a writer's critique group if they can. And I've been in one since virtually day one. And it started out with two gentlemen and a lady, and then it turned into just myself and four women. And certainly, if you're a male writing for women, you definitely need to get into a critique group because these four ladies, they were just a boom. And men do think differently from women. There's no question about it. We're wired differently. That's one thing I really, really learned. We're wired differently. Women see things in a different light, different perspective. When they're reading, different things are important to them. And they've got to be in the books. And I would have been sunk without these four ladies. I had to go back drawing boards so many times, you know, um, that's how it is. Well, it's good you were able to get into that group and find, I guess, expertise in, to help you get along your way. Because like you said, there's no way me or you can write in that light without uh, either interpreting something wrong or writing it totally wrong because we're not that person. It's hard to do that. Well, it is, and the last one in particular, as I said, it's about three ladies of the night. Um, I, I didn't do any research. In fact, none. there's no research on any of my books. They're all 100% imagination, 100%. Wow. <laughs> but even trying to get into the mind to write, write the dialogue between these three ladies, it's tough. It's, but there again, it's the challenge. Um, and I tried to write as best I could and that my four ladies came in and helped and said, well, I'm not too sure they would say that. You might want to say, put it like this and I go yeah. back and rephrase it. Um, but it's, it's tough. I think it's tough for a man to write for a woman. I'm not too sure what it's like for a woman to write for a male reading audience. That I don't know. But I know it's tough from the other side of the fence. Well, I can imagine 
And I know we talked about you marketing and going on your book tours. I learned a lot of that on the fly. My daughter got published right out of high school in 2015. So her book came out Christmas Eve of 2015. Good for her. I learned, I learned on the fly how to get her out there to tours. And a lot of it was a help from my sister-in-law who worked for, is a manager for Barnes and Noble. So that got her into a lot of book tours, uh, book signings along the East Coast for Barnes and Noble. So that helped a lot to get the publicity out. But I'm sure marketing a larger audience is much harder than that. It, it is. Um, Barnes and Noble over here, they've been um, great. It's different times, of course, you know, because book, bookshops seem to be going by the wayside. It's really Barnes and Noble and there's no borders anymore you know there used to be a lot of those borders bookshops around and right a lot of the independent bookstores seem to be going by the wayside of course so, so much business now goes through amazon right. um, i mean you find some, in a way you might find some uh what they call now antique bookstores or antique shops that have books in them now with dust all over <laughs> and they call that <laughs> bookstore old <laughs> <laughs> usually we don't find a classic bookstore with shelves and shelves of books and ladders up the shelves which were you know what drew a lot of people into wanting to write so they wanted their book to be on that shelf oh, yes. now your shelf is what me and you're looking at right now the computer <laughs> yes yes for sure. a lot now. that's absolutely true well i hope your daughter continues to write and um get more books out there she's a lot and more when, after she went after that book came out she went to college to become a writer and she is a lot more critical on herself so it's taken a little while to get this next book out well but is that what she wants to do as a career be an author a creative writer yes good for her good for her um well if she's got that passion you know that's that's what matters it's if she went to school to become a creative writer she's got the drive and the, the passion in it. So I'm sure she'll do well. Ultimately, that's what it takes, isn't it? It's the, the passion and the devotion and dedication. Right, if you don't have that passion, it's just like waking up and dredging through life. You you have to have that passion to, to get up every morning and say, I'm gonna get this next chapter as far as I can get into it and then do, do the rest of my housework. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. It's slightly different because I'm, I'm doing it like as a hobby. Right. So for me, it's fun, but if she, she's looking at it for a livelihood, so right. she's viewing it from a totally different perspective. Yeah. But it's nice to know that there are people out there that still want to write and oh, yes. have got that creative mind. I've had a few other authors on here, a couple from New Zealand that were very, very uh, well-versed in how they got out there, and they, they were very good people. And I learned a lot just from them, too, because they both had different paths to get into writing. And the reasons why, just like you waited later to start writing, they did too. And now they're just happy doing that as their main focus and then doing side things just to have fun. Yeah, as I said, I never really planned on writing. It was just one day I just suddenly thought, you know, having traveled to all these countries, I just would really like to jot all the experiences down, the different cultures, the different people, the different customs and things like that. I thought it would be very interesting, and I spent two years painstakingly writing this tomb, only to find out, you know, that nobody would read it, and I was kind of crushed, but it was through that that I discovered this joy of writing. It wasn't 
like I ever had a passion for it before. I enjoy writing letters and things like that, but I'd never thought about publishing a book. And so uh, it's kind of, it's been kind of a fun journey. It just has. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, I hope uh, you have your next book is uh, in editing now. Is that along the same genres of the other ones or is it totally different? No, it's totally different. Um, <laughs> I like the challenge of writing in different genres. You know, the, the first two about the wedding chapels, um, that's kind of mainstream fiction. Then Murder Aboard the Queen Elizabeth II, that was, um, that's a cozy murder mystery. And then of course, discreetly yours, it's, it's crime fiction because it's, it's murder, they're actually committing a crime. So, um, and I thought for something totally different, my next book is a, it's a very warm and fuzzy Christmas novel. It's the kind of thing you would, you would actually see on the format, one of those warm, fuzzy, mushy um, things that you would see. And I just thought that would be something totally different, having been buried for a couple of years writing about um, murder and <laughs> escort agencies and, you know, drug addicts and things like that. It would be nice to just write something that was just fun and joyful, uplifting and frothy. <laughs> but, you know, all of the books, um, even despite the subject matter, they're, they're all kind of clean and pure. There's no expletives or there's no graphic sex in any of them. They're just pure, fun, uplifting, easy reads. Even in Discreetly Yours about the hookers, there's, there's implied sex, but there's no graphic details. So, I mean, you could give it to your grandmother to read, and some people I know have, and <laughs> grandmothers have enjoyed it just as much as they have. So. <laughs> That's all that matters. Someone's That's, enjoying it. That's good. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll try and keep it clean so that um, anybody can read them. Definitely. And that's why I try to keep the, the show clean too, so anyone can listen to it. I don't have to get any complaints. <laughs> there you go. Yes, better be careful. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And the, uh, having a Christmas one, you may get picked up by Hallmark. They have like, uh, I think, a million Christmas movies now, so you may get in there. Well, uh, I, I've watched them and um, yeah, mine's different. They seem to follow a tried and true pattern, and I guess it works for them. You know, they, they always end with that kiss, every single one of them. Every one of them. Yes. Um, and it's normally somebody who's leaving some big city to go and spend <laughs> Christmas in a rural little town somewhere and go back to their roots and then find they don't miss the big city after all and these promising careers and they fall in <laughs> love with some childhood sweetheart. Mine isn't quite like that, but it's it's a similar thing it's five people they they're, they're on the way to um to spend christmas with friends and family and they're on a helicopter and the plane crashes and they land up in this tiny little christmas village that seems to live christmas all year round and um the five people they've all got personal issues to deal with and how these few days in this little christmas village where they're stranded totally changed their lives, their perspectives and their outlook on life. So as I said, it's a fun, warm, fuzzy, fuzzy read. That's good. That's uh, come up with a title and away we go. <laughs> that would help the title. Yeah. That's a, that, well, that's another issue, finding a title. There's so many Christmas books out there. And if you want the word Christmas in it, trying to come up with something that hasn't already been chosen, that's, that's another story in and of itself. <laughs> 
Yeah, that that'll probably be the hardest part right there, since there are so Absolutely. many out there now. Yeah. It has been, and that and normally the, the the time for a book comes as I'm writing the book, um, and this one it just it just didn't. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll come up with something. Um, the Chapel of Eternal Love that didn't have a title because I never intended to publish it. I just wrote chapters and filed it in the computer. Um, for a couple of years and so then when this company that helped me edit it they said we've got to go with that I said I don't even have a title for it so <laughs> we sat down together and dreamed up and brainstormed and came up with a title for that it's amazing how sometimes things turn out turn up <laughs> definitely yeah so you said you don't do research to put into your books it's 100% off your top of your head so there's no characters that are based on real people no, no, um, no. I, I wish some of the people that I knew were as exciting as some of these characters <laughs> <laughs> or lived lives as exciting. But no, they're all, um, the only one, the only book that does have a, an element of truth, if you will, is The Murder Aboard the Queen Elizabeth II. And that's only because I'd actually been on the Queen Elizabeth II. And Originally, it was going to be about a couple celebrating their silver wedding anniversary, and they're very wealthy and they live in Beverly Hills. And I wrote it really as a murder mystery for a dinner party. And then I thought, you know what? I want to take the story and develop it further. But I don't really know anything about the Beverly Hills lifestyle. I don't move in those circles. <laughs> but I had been on the QE too. So I thought, well, you know what? I can just say, this very wealthy Beverly Hills couple, they're celebrating their silver wedding anniversary and we can put it on the QE2 and they take their friends and their dysfunctional family. And as they come back from England to New York, one of the party gets murdered. And um, of course the mystery has got to be solved before the ship docks in New York, otherwise everybody scatters. Right. But it was able to, that's where I was able to use some of my own personal experience because I remember the names of the restaurants and the names of the suites and the, and the stores on on board ship and things like that. So I was able to make it sort of authentic and realistic. Nice. But uh, I certainly didn't interview any um, ladies of the night for discreetly yours, and I didn't interview any wedding couples in a wedding chapel or even wedding chapel organizers when I wrote those books. They're just all all imagination, all fun. Good Keep those base cells active and going. <laughs> <laughs> you should bring a copy to the chapels and say, hey, have people read this. <laughs> what? <laughs> Actually, one thing that I was kind of surprised about, I thought that the, for the number of wedding chapels we have, that we've got like 50 here in Las Vegas, um, I thought that would be a natural sell for them, but um, only a couple of them have actually sort of taken it as a as a item to sell. I was kind of kind of disappointed in that, but yeah. wow, it maybe it's because it's maybe if I called it the Chapel of and their their wedding chapel title, maybe they would have taken it differently then. But take stacks of them, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that would have been that would have been totally different. You're right. Yes. <laughs> All right, so Stephen, thank you for coming on. Uh, 
if someone wants to get in contact with you, how would they do that? And do you have any uh, words of wisdom to pass on to aspiring authors before we take off here? Uh, well, I, I think just as I said earlier, I would certainly say follow your dreams for any aspiring author. And I would, actually, I would say that just as a, a matter of general course in life, you know, just pursue your dream, but be sure that you give back along the way as well. You know, we, we've all been blessed in so many ways, I think, here in America. I think sometimes we take a lot of it for granted and we need to give something back because we've been given so much ourselves. So I try to do that. But to aspiring authors, whether you go traditional, don't give up. Um, if you get a rejection letter from traditional publisher, don't give up. Just keep on plugging and plugging and plugging. and Somebody will ultimately pick it up. And if you choose to go self-publishing, brace yourself for a tough journey, but make it fun. It's like everything else. You, if you're given lemons, make sure you turn it into lemonade. And if you're given grapes, turn it into champagne, you know, <laughs> do the best. But I thank you, Rich, again, for your service to our country. And I thank you for inviting me to be a guest on your show. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I do hope your listeners enjoy listening to it as much as I've enjoyed being on it. It's been a pleasure and an honor. I'm sure they'll enjoy listening to you and uh, learning about your journey and some of the tips you just gave. And uh, thank you for taking your time. And uh, again, for linking me up with Homes for Our Veterans. And uh, you have a good day. You do the same. And stay safe. And stay that was an interesting chat with Stephen. Be sure to check out his body of work and, of course, his books on his website and get him to come on your show. So you know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on The Misfit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know anyone that would bring energy and has a great story for the show, have them visit our website at themisfitnation.com and just reach out to us. So as always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are the Mystic Nation.